This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. <laughs> All worship the dark lords of chaos for episode 666 of Signals from the Frontline. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Put on some Metallica. Maybe some ghost. Your upside down crosses. Just whatever you want. Put Beatles records on backwards. Play them in reverse. Get out your Ouija board. Play some Ouija. Do do the Ouija. Eat some quinoa, as Pablo just pronounced it. <laughs> so I'm on this health kick, and I have no idea. He's how like, to yeah, let's get quinoa. some quinoa. But you know what? Take that, and throw it out the window. Eat some raw meat, because it's time for. The most evil episode of Signals from the Frontline we've ever had. Metal edition. Dun, dun, dun. Yes, it is. Episode 666, which means a lot. Obviously, duh, the most evil episode. The evilest of episodes. But also, holy cow, that is a lot of Signals from the Frontline. Episode 666. There's 52 weeks in a year. And if you don't miss a single year or a single week, that's 11 years. It's over 11 years. Actually, my math is way off. That's like Kanoa years. <laughs> Welcome to episode 666, where we're bad at math. <laughs> so 10 would be uh, 10 years, uh, 13, maybe 13 and a half years. Yeah, yeah. Even better. That's more metal. Yeah. So amazing. That uh, it's been going that long. And, and the reason why, obviously, we haven't been around for 13 years. But there's been times when we did signals more than once per week. Um, twice a week. I think at one point we were even doing more than that. Like we were doing two or even three times per week. So it's, it's been a long journey. And thank you so much for everybody that's been with us all this way. And we wanted to talk about not just chaosy stuff, but what's going on in, in the meta and all kinds of fun stuff. But before that, let's dive on into this mostest evilest episode of Signals Ever. I'm going to eat the head off of a bat later. I'm going to claw your face off. I'm going to get Ozzy Osbourne on this. I'm not actually going to do that. Bats are really cute, and I would never bite the head off a bat. I and think I can't claw your face off. I think they're pretty cool animals. Uh, let's take a look at what the pre-order is this week for Games Workshop, which, of course, you can pick up from... FrontlineGaming.org, which is hosting the show that you are currently watching or listening to, at discounted prices with free shipping options within the continental United States. There is a ton of stuff. This week. It's crazy. So we're not going to go through all of it. You can just go over to store.frontlinegaming.org, click on the pre-order button. And some of the highlights are uh, some Blackstone Fortress releases, a new Blood Bowl team, the Ogres. Really funny, the linebacker that you can get is a big ogre uh, girl in her her, uh, her uh, uniform is hilarious. I'm nice. a big fan. Uh, don't have a picture of it. And for those of you watching, though, you can go check it out. Uh, the Lord of the Rings. Some the first time I'm not going to mockingly talk about a Lord of the Rings release. I wish Jason was here because <laughs> this was his favorite. Uh, the new terrain kits. The the Rohan terrain is actually awesome. Like they're really really cool. I'm a big fan, and definitely will be picking some of that up for AOS. 
and uh, RPGs because it's perfect for that. They're really cool. Uh, and then, of course, they're releasing some of the uh, Warcry terrain individually. We have a set we painted up that we use for RPGs. It's, it's such good terrain for that. Really, really, really cool looking and fun. And the big one, also most apropos to this show, the Slaves to Darkness Chaos Battle Tome is up for pre-order. And we'll get uh, dive into some of the rules and stuff for that in a bit. But very exciting. Uh, Slaves to Darkness, as we were saying on the last episode, the most iconic, in my opinion, faction in fantasy. I, I, to me, they are the space marines of the fantasy or, you know, the realms uh, universe. And it's been a long time in coming. I'm, I think I and a lot of people were surprised it took this long for them to update it because they, you know, had to do like 10 uh, Sigmarine books. And, in, you know, in multiple versions of them before they finally got around to Slave of the Darkness. So very excited for that. Um, and then we will talk about the rules a little bit. But since this is a Chaos-themed episode, let's talk about Dark Angels. Space Marines. <laughs> Dark Angels. Uh, the GW previewed some new units for them in the 30K universe. And, of course, haha. The joke is, is that they are actually a Chaos Legion because they didn't go halfway to the dark side. What but, joke? Yeah, right. And Alpha Legion's a half uh, loyalist. They're actually doing the Emperor's will and only like Alpharius and Omega know it. But uh, can you scroll down? I, I can't remember the names of these things. are really goofy. So then we've got some uh, Dreadwing Interrupters. Interrupters. So apparently in 30K, there's six wings. There's the Dreadwing, the, the uh, Ravenwing, Deathwing, the Wingwing. The Chaos Wing. The Chicken Wing. Yeah. There's all kinds of stuff. Uh, but that's really cool, and these guys are in the Dreadwing. Uh, and then there's the new tank, which I actually love. This little guy. It looks so silly. Yeah, I love it, though. He's like <laughs> such a silly-looking, goofy... He's like, look at me go! boop a doop a doop pew pew it's like, it's like a turtle poking its head out of the... You know, it's just like a little tiny cannon. Yeah, a little turtle out. head sticking out. Oh. <laughs> Episode 666, I forgot. <laughs> that is a very phallic-looking gun, but I, I suppose most guns are. That one's particularly... I don't know I don't know what ones you've seen, Reese, but... Okay. I'm going to have to agree to disagree there. Well, you know, if you've got green bumps on it... <laughs> Anyways. It's so, a chaos-themed <laughs> episode. It's very nurgly. So if you... If you um, you're uh, maybe listening to this and you don't know what we're talking about. It's it's a Sakaran tank, the chassis for the tank uh, instead of the turret. It's a Legion Architar Bombard. Okay, I'm sorry, it's Pro. called a Legion Architar Bombard. However, the chassis is the Sakaran chassis, but instead of the front turret aiming out, they cut out the middle and stuck like a cannon thing, a bombard. Duh. Uh, onto it. I think it looks really silly. I like it. But, um, you know, that model, I, I can safely say that that, Space Marine Monocle probably has the most character as a vehicle. It's definitely got a lot of character to it. Just imagine, like, he's, like, the little, like, try-hard tank. Or the other tank's like, all right, let's go. And he's like, here I come. Like, oh, gosh. It's the Architar Bombard. He's like, look at me go, guys. Right? Like, definitely make pew-pew noises when you play with this one. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, he's fun. It makes sense that it's the Dark Angels one, specifically. Yeah, everything's backwards. Who knows what's going on with those guys. But let's talk about the new uh, Slaves to Darkness Battle Tome for Chaos. Very excited about this. Uh, I, I just, I love the way Slaves to Darkness look and feel. It's the most heavy metal army, like, ever. They're just, they're awesome, right? Like, you have to put on some Man of War when you're painting this army, because it will make you paint better. 
you actually turn into a warrior of chaos. Are you familiar with Manowar? Uh, yes, but also corn rains blood on your models as you paint. Uh, sure. uh, I've seen Reese do it a couple times. Yeah, Manowar is just go Google their album covers. These guys are they are metal. They are chaos warriors. Oh. <laughs> That's the funniest thing I've ever seen. So let's take a look at some of the rules to get excited about for the new Slaves of Darkness Battletome. First of all, we have a um, uh, Chaos Sorcerer, and uh, he's always been really good in Age of Sigmar, but um, he's got some uh, amazing, could be a she as well. But uh, uh, this particular model has some really, really powerful rules. Oracular Visions is the command ability uh, that, uh, that you can generate with this Sorcerer. In your hero phase, you can pick one friendly mortal, Slaves of Darkness, Unit holding within 12 inches of this model, and then you can reroll fields saves. Obviously, it's spectacularly That's powerful, right? Yep. You get a big unit of um, Chaos Warriors or Chosen or whatever, uh, and the, the unit becomes exceptionally more durable. Rerolls are the most powerful thing in AOS or 40K. So, this clearly a very, very, very strong ability on a unit that's already good, right? And then they also take a look at one of their spells for the exact same unit, Demonic Power. Uh, casting value of six, if successfully cast, pick one friendly mortal Slaves of Darkness unit only within 18 inches of the caster, invisible to them. You can reroll hit and wound rolls for attacks made by that unit until your next hero phase. Speaking of rerolls, all the rerolls. All the rerolls. You can reroll hits, wounds, and saves. On a unit, and obviously, again, you take a big old unit of Chaos Warriors, Chosen, or Knights, and uh, you're going, you can just smash somebody with this. It's extraordinarily powerful, yeah. and I think you're going to be seeing that model in most uh, Slaves to Darkness armies. Maybe not that specific model, but a Chaos Sorcerer of some sort. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, Gilliman was nerfed in Warmer 40k for a reason, uh, and in Age of Sigmar, I imagine rerolls to wound and rerolls to hit. Off of one model is just as good. It's it's not as good. It's because it only is only one unit. It's, it's only one unit and army. It, it's a melee because uh, the slaves of darkness have very very few shooting units. So oh, I uh, see. so it's it, it's not nearly as crazy as G Man, but it's on like it, it gives you that level of ability for one unit, and then you're going to build a hammer unit that's going to go in and take advantage of this. Yeah, and then of course, like we talked about last week, when you have um, if you're if you're using uh, um, the ever chosen. Or you can use the ability to know who's going first or second in the next battle I round. I completely forgot about that. You can, you can really get ready to just crush somebody. You're like, oh, okay, I'm getting the double turn. I'm going, you know, balls to the wall with one of my melee units, and they're just going up the table. I'm going to max buff them, and they're going to get, you know, either extra distance up the table, or I know they're going to get to fight twice. So it's, it's a very, very strong. Yeah, and and it, it, from an outsider, uh, I don't obviously don't play as much Age of Sigmar as a lot of other listeners do. However, it does feel like Games Workshop is intentionally upping the power level of Slaves of Darkness. Um, as I when I played Age of Sigmar, they were kind of like a laughing stock. You didn't, you just didn't see. Yeah, them. you just didn't see. Yeah. You just didn't see them. Um, but now they look, from what I've seen, just the little from what I've seen, they look amazing. Yeah, there there's some really good stuff in here, and I, like I said, they. They do lack some, uh, you know, they don't really have a lot of shooting, but they have a lot of magic and their melee units are really excellent. Uh, and that's a good segue. Let's talk about Chosen. For those of you who are unfamiliar, Chosen are like veteran, it's like veteran space marines, right? Or 
or chosen chaos space chaos marines. chosen yeah right well i guess there you go um captain obvious to the rescue uh so these guys are like extra badass warriors uh and their models still hold up they're they're, they're still pretty cool these um, models are so cool and they're they're quite old too like but the chaos warrior is just like they're just the shape and the design is just a home run right even the the very old ones still look cool and, and intimidating so they take a look at one of the abilities that the chosen have it's called Slaughter Leaders. Uh, if a model from this unit makes an attack that slays one or more enemy models after all of this unit's attacks have been resolved, you can re-roll wound rolls for attacks made by friendly mortal slaves to darkness units wholly within 12 inches of any friendly unit with this ability until the start of your next phase. Obviously amazing. The combos write themselves. Uh, you have this unit attack first because in AOS you have alternating uh, combat it's not all charges or anything like that. So this unit goes first, if possible, have him kill a little wimpy unit, if possible, and then mega buff everybody around him. Yeah, and you don't have to necessarily... You can swing this unit, maybe one of these models, into like a weak unit next to a really powerful like character like Nagash or something. And then all of the models within 12 inches get reroll wound rolls against Nagash, if I'm reading that correctly. Because yeah. it just gives you... Re they just have to kill a model. So they don't necessarily have to kill a model in the unit that the other units have to target. You're right. It's just, I read it as a unit and it is. It's just models, which is even easier. Yeah. Right. So yeah, you just want these guys usually to swing first and then you buff everybody else. Pretty, pretty I, amazing. I imagine they like grab some mook or something with the army, like rip them in half. And then the rest of the chaos guys are like, yeah. <laughs> and then it just like some guy in the back starts playing, shredding a guitar. Yep. That, that's actually how I get Reese to, to get working in the morning. And I just, you know, yeah. I find someone. Just then, rip somebody in half. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. That's the kind of intensity we want at Frontline Gaming. Yep. <laughs> All right, let's take a look at the uh, one of the new rules for Archeon. This is his uh, command uh, trait. I always get them confused in AOS because there's a command ability and a command trait. One's like a warlord trait. One's an, an ability that you activate with command points. Uh, but uh, his ability is... Uh, Warlord without equal. If this model is on the battlefield at the start of your hero phase, you receive one extra command point. That's really good, right? Yeah, it's really good. Okay. Because the way it works in AOS is that you you start with dramatically less command points than you do in 40k. You usually have like a couple, one, but you get one every turn. And then the new armies that have come out have a, a rule mechanism to generate more typically. Like my Beast of Chaos army, I can sacrifice uh, D3... I think it's D3 models. I'm trying to play. I've been playing my free cities lately, but I can sacrifice models and get that many um, like points. And then I can use that to summon and all kinds of other yeah, And then, and then the stuff. points you can use for really powerful things, right? You you can activate uh, the command abilities or there's like, at like army wide abilities, like with beasts of chaos, I can use them to help me summon. Okay. Right. Like, and if you put more in, you can get more summoning points, etc. cetera. Uh, and with uh, slaves of darkness, you, have the ability to have multiple models activate their uh, command abilities, uh, which we talked about last week. And I, I, if I'm saying that wrong, I apologize. I always forget which one is the command ability, which one is the command trait, because they sound so similar. But you can basically activate multiple people's like super strong abilities, like the ones we were just looking at. Wow. And um, it's really good. But you need a lot of CP to do it, so that's where Archeon is going to come in. And then, of course, he is a, a melee monstrosity. No, does he have to be your warlord? For you to get this, or does he just have it's, to be on the field? It's different. Basically, you pick someone and then you can you get their command 
their warlord trait. I keep saying that just because I can't remember what it is. Oh, okay. So, yeah, basically, yes. But it's different in AOS than it is in, in uh, 40K. So, we wanted to take a look at this state of the chaos. All right, we figured it'd be fun, since it is episode 666, to kind of assess where we're at with, with chaos. So, why don't we take a look? Now, is this 40K chaos or Age of Sigmar chaos? Well, you know what? The Mortal Realms might be in the 40K universe. It's it could all be. chaos. The state of the warp. No, but this is 40K. Oh, okay. All right. Since we just talked about AOS, uh, and then if you are curious, in AOS, Archeon's leading a big charge because they were in charge of the realms, and now they're not. So now they're kind of trying to make a comeback. But in 40K, uh, well, let's take a look at where we're at right now. So big win for chaos. They, uh, they finally destroyed Cadia. It only took 13 attempts, but we got there in the end like the little chaos engine that could. You know what? It was a 13-step plan from, from Abaddon. Yeah, let's, let's see. He enacted his 13-step plan. He got his token, you know, finally stood in front of the crowd of other chaos generals and... Never got impeached. Talked about... Not once. All the bad things he did. Yep. Helped him get over it. Had the, had the fight Chaos Congress the whole way through. Yep. Yep. Finally pushed it through. And got it done. He had to sacrifice his uh, battle fortress, but in the end, they smushed Cadia. Yep, it happened. Well done. Well done, Chaos. You finally got a win yep. after 10,000 years. And Cadia got a nice cool ability out of it, a nice stratagem. Yeah, and they lost a planet. <laughs> they lost. You know what? I would trade a planet for a badass stratagem any day. Like, take McCrag, but give all my Ultramarines an awesome stratagem. I'll do it. I'll take it. So after this big win... Abaddon, seeing the new kid on the block, getting all of the accolades and the attention, the Discolord, he's like, sorry, bruh. And he updated his armor in such a way that uh, I like to look at it as if he got a uh, brand new super lifted truck on 40s with truck nuts. And there we go. That's, Ken, that's Abaddon coming back to the block and saying, hey, guys, how you like me now? It's a picture of Abaddon in a monster truck <laughs> <laughs> with spikes, with the Land Raider spikes on it. He was like, so I'm not letting anybody uh, one-up me here. I like it. So uh, Chaos Knights finally got a kit, uh, which was exciting. But it came with almost none of the weapons that you actually wanted. So, you know, it, eh, glass half full kind of a moment, right? Yeah. Yeah. So enjoy that, uh, Chaos players. You got, you got something. It is a cool model. But it would have been nice if it came with like one of the weapons that you actually use. Like one Gatling cannon? Yeah, like anything. <laughs> uh, but that did give rise to the, the double thermal cannon Chaos Knight, which has turned out to be excellent. Plague Bears discovered that they peaked in high school. Once the prom king, they now <laughs> take a few classes at the junior college and wonder why none of the other demons return their phone calls. <laughs> <laughs> they're just they're, they're starting the Facebook groups. Like, oh, class of, of uh, ITC mid-season 2019. Yeah. Hey, hey, hey everybody. What's going on? You want to go down to the to the A&W? To the get, Salty Frog? To get a root beer? Anybody? Still wearing his Letterman jacket. <laughs> oh, <laughs> going to the high school parties. Sorry, buddy. Hope you enjoyed it while it lasted. Peaked early. Uh, and despite all the changes, there is always one constant with chaos, and that is that the players that play the faction remain as salty as ever and seem to be stuck in a global LARP 
or they are as bitter and jealous of their imperial brothers and sisters as the toys that they play are in the stories. <laughs> I can't add anything to that. It's brilliant. <laughs> it's true, man. Chaos players tend to be the most bitter players. <laughs> I think it's because it's it's so close to Space Marines, but always yet so far away from yeah, and, them. And they also talk about their 3.5 edition codex. Oh, yeah. They, like like the glory hang days. Hang on. It's like Al Bundy <laughs> talking about scoring three touchdowns in one game. They just can't. They can never forget. <laughs> can never forget. Let's jump into chat. Oh, and let's, see. let's see what chat has to say. If What, what, what are the... <laughs> the graphics are amazing. Yes, thank you. Uh, uh, yeah, Viking, we were talking about Chaos Knights, how they didn't come with anything you actually wanted except for the the base model. Uh, they are the Terran players of StarCraft II. <laughs> Arnar Bjornis. True. Uh, yeah, everybody was enjoying those. Uh, that was fun. All right, we'll jump back on over and continue on with the show notes. So Las Vegas Open update. Uh, no, we made a big announcement last week, caused quite a stir on the interwebs, as it always does. Um, we are working on a base chart, a base size chart guide for you all. Uh, it covers pretty much every unit in the game, so it should make it uh, very easy to understand what the expectation for the base size your unit is supposed to be on. It will be enforced at the LVO. There's still plenty of time. Somebody was like, oh, it's only two months to change it. I'm like, yeah, that's a, that's a lot. That's a ton of time. Most of the people are going to get this all done in one weekend procrastinate, you know, and then do it at the last minute yeah. as, as one does. Yeah, yeah. But uh, uh, I want to say a big thank you to the ETC uh, organizers. They already had a base chart, uh, a base size chart that they use. Uh, for the ETC, it's, it's very strict. Uh, and for an event like that, it makes sense, I think, to be like very, very strict because it is entirely about the competition and then making it as even Steven as possible. Um, so we're going to be a little bit more flexible with it uh, for the rule of cool and to accommodate for some of the things like the new, a lot of the new Eldar melee units came out on a, a new base size that has previously not existed. I think it's 28 millimeter, right? Normally they're on 25s. I, I, I get confused on which one. I think they're normally on 28s and they're... They're, they're on 25s before. 25s, that's you're, you're correct. Yeah, that's a, yeah. And so now like some of them are on 28s and people, you know, and, and then the ITC TO... Facebook group is where we do a lot of the decision-making and debating. If you are a TO and you want to participate, that's where you go. Um, a lot of people are like, oh, let's just, let's just you know, rip off the Band-Aid. You have to be on the newest base. And then some of us were like, well, they literally can't buy these bases. They don't exist, except for in one box set. You know, that's not very fair to expect people. And it's a minuscule difference, too, right? Like, the only difference is that when you go up that just tiny bit, now your base is more than an inch in diameter, so you can't go three ranks deep in melee, which is meaningful, especially for like orcs. However, you don't really see big units of incubi or banshees, so it's not super relevant. It's, it's kind of confusing, um, but it is important because it does make a very big difference on the way uh, armies play. You know, Bloodletters, perfect example. Yep. Uh, almost everybody has made the jump to 32s with Bloodletters, and it really changes the way they play. Uh, and orcs is the one that's going to be most impacting um, but it is it is important if you want things to be fair to do it correctly, and there's still people that are rocking really, you know, inappropriate sizes bases that does give them an, an advantage. Most people do it just because they're being lazy, because mm -hmm. they don't want to change it, not out of maliciousness, but 
you know, the time has come. So that that uh, will be done by the end of the week. Um, it's it's almost done now. And basically we're going in and we're putting in just a little bit of flex, little wiggle room, right? Like if you have a Cornifex that came on that little oval surfboard base in the one box set. The Battle Force box. Yeah, it's like a lot of people have those. It makes no difference in the way the model plays. So it's like, do we really require you to switch that onto a 60 millimeter base? I don't think so because it doesn't have any impact on the game, right? The idea is to standardize things uh, for, for fairness. So then that, that's gonna get being worked on. And then also <clears throat> we have the big uh, release with just like all the, the, the extraneous stuff that you should know, like exactly what do we mean when we say that your army needs to be painted in a coherent fashion, right? We'll have more examples of that, go into greater depth. Uh, and, and essentially, as we have been saying, it's to avoid people playing borrow hammer. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of the really good players are guilty of doing this, and they're the ones that are going to be on stream. They're the ones that are going to be representing the hobby to thousands and thousands of people they're going to be watching. Um, so it's really important that someone coming to this event has a reasonable expectation that be playing against a, 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 at least a painted army that are on the right size basis so that they can have a good experience. Yep. Um, and then all that will be done. Plus, you know, the terrain rules. Um, how you submit questions, how you get model approval. We've set up uh, Google Forms for all of that stuff, who your judges are going to be so that you can visually identify them, all that fun stuff to try and make it as easy as possible for people. Yeah, and, and this is this is something that, that we've been talking about and working on for a while now, so it should should come out smoothly. And then as for the base size thing, because I've, I've seen my personal share of uh, salt on the internet about that as yep. well. Um, and as someone who, who is more of a player, um, who this would also impact because I do have a lot of Space Marine models that are on 25s or 32s or, you know, whatever. Um, nothing seemed like it was completely unreasonable. The, the document itself seems like it's just a lot of common sense. Um, and there's really just like fringe units that, that people probably should have expected to go to 32 millimeters at some point. Um, so there's really nothing that I don't expect, like outside of what Reese said with Orc Boys, um, and orc players who, who might have might be the most impacted. There's nothing really that like jumps out at me as as you know too crazy. That also I, I don't think it it's we're not trying to target any specific unit specifically. Um, we're trying to be as fair as possible with it, which is why we're opening up to all the tournament organizers in the Facebook group. Um, so if that alleviates some concerns, hopefully that does. But. Yeah, I mean it's it's the way the game is intended to be played, and you do gain whether intentionally or not, unfair advantage when you're not on the right size base. It's just, it's just a fact. Otherwise, if, if it wasn't the case, we wouldn't bother with it because it's a big pain in the butt. Um, so yeah, it's just going to make the game more fair for everybody, right? And you don't want someone, especially not like on stream at a high level game, to win a combat because they got an extra row of guys in when they should not have. Um, that would be very bad. <laughs> Yeah, or or they had a unit of extra of unit on. I see this actually a lot. They have units on twenty fives, and then they have another unit on thirty twos. Yeah, and it gets and then, super confused. Yeah, yeah, and then also each unit they have different roles at that point. So the player's like, I'm deep striking my twenty five millimeter unit, but I'm not deep striking my thirty two millimeter unit. They're so gonna it's, take the buffs. Yeah. So it's just like there's a lot of gaming to it that I that kind of gives me a bad taste in my mouth when I see it. Um, yeah. So a standard is just I think it's just necessary. It just makes sense. Yeah. Right. And then it's not going to be like for the um, for some of the other events that are more casual. It's really not that big of a deal. But for the championships, that is the, decide, the direction we decided to go. And obviously, it's already been done by a lot of other events. So keep your eye out for that. And um, 
let the salt flow. Most people have been actually very, very positive, especially in the TO group. It's been like overwhelmingly like, yes, it's about time we did this. Um, but you know, there's a couple of people who are like looking at their army going, oh my gosh, I got to rebase it. I feel for you. Uh, it sucks. But when I rebase my free people's army, which has hundreds of models, I got it all done in a weekend, like rebased and based with like flock and grass and everything. And uh, it really wasn't, it was a pain in the butt, but it wasn't, it was not some monumental task. But then I look at my space wolf army that is like 15,000 points and I'm like, oh, <laughs> that would not be fun um, to do. But uh, just to throw it out there, there are companies out there that do, uh, you can buy like plastic rings. They're cool, they come on sprues and they just clip on to your existing base. You don't have to change anything and they make it the correct size. Uh, well, not for everything, but from going from like 28 to 32. Um, so it's that, that part is actually relatively easy. Um, there's also a little like uh, basic centers that you can like put, put the model in and it'll bump it up to the correct size. So there is some relatively easy, painless ways to do it. You don't have to clip your model off of the base it's on uh, and then put it on an entirely new base. You can obviously, but um, there are tools out there to make it relatively easy to do. Yeah, and if, if you are using those base con base size converters, uh, we're not requiring that you paint the base converter to match your base on your model. So if you have like really nicely painted 25 millimeter bases, uh, we don't require you to, to base the the converter. Although as Reese mentioned last week, it is a good opportunity for you to paint them anyways to determine units. Um, so you can have like a blue unit, a green unit. And yeah. So it's a good opportunity for that. Yep. All right. So let's go ahead and talk about what's up with the new, what's new and cool with ITC. And again, if you like the ITC, you think it's been good for your hobby and you want to support it financially, it is very expensive to run it. You can do so via our ITC Patreon for as little as $1 a month. All of the money goes back into the ITC to help pay for server fees, uh, labor, all the crazy amount of work it takes to keep the wheels of this machine turning. And it is greatly appreciated if you do so. Uh, taking a look at uh, upcoming 40K ITC events, uh, December is always relatively slow, but there is still quite a few events this weekend, including one GT, the Christmas WA ITC GT tournament in uh, Manchester in the United Kingdom. And there's a whole slew of RTTs around uh, the world, so go make sure to check those out. Also, upcoming Age of Sigmar ITC events in the month of December. There are quite a few uh, still in the month. No, it doesn't look like any GTs or majors, but still quite a few events out there. 40K ITC current top five. This is definitely not updated. Well, uh, uh, Richard Siegler, congratulations, won another event. He beat Nick Nonavati in a very exciting final game. As I was told, I unfortunately didn't get to see it because uh, we were out in Nevada uh, getting our living situation sorted out this weekend. Met some really, really nice people. Very, very friendly people out there. Like, coming from the city in California, any city, really, any big city, it's a little bit less personal, right? Yes. Oh, it's just it's the way it is, and you go to a little bit more of like a smaller environment, and it was like, wow, we were people were so so nice. I don't think there's too many people in Boulder City, Nevada listening to this, but if there are, thank you very much for such a warm and uh, genuine welcome. It was it was disarmingly uh, nice coming yeah. from the city. Uh, it, was, it was like everyone was just so thrilled to, to talk to us. Oh, we're going to be our neighbors. And I was like, wow, this is, this is awesome. Um, but uh, yeah, so we didn't, I didn't get to watch any of what was going on this weekend, really, because it was busy. But uh, Richard won another event, the uh, Atlanta Open. 
congratulations to him. And I believe when that score gets logged, he did actually pass Jim Vessel. Yeah, yeah. It, it, so Jim Vessel already released a, a statement, so to speak, of uh, officially congratulating Richard for passing him as the number one player. Uh, Jim has, I don't think there's any events coming up that Jim, that Jim will attend that will make it so he passes Richard. So it does look like Richard's going to be the top dog going into the Las Vegas Open unless something crazy happens. Uh, so, yeah, congratulations, Richard, for passing Jim Vessel. Yeah, and it's, uh, yeah congratulations here. I'm sorry to mean to cut you off. Oh, yeah. Um, I, was ta- I was chatting with Richard yesterday, and I did not know this. He just started playing competitive 40K this season. Rookie that, of the year. That's crazy. Like I was telling you, I haven't seen anybody hit the scene with such a splash since uh, Tony Kopak way back in the old days when he was just a kid. And he came to his first tournament, his first big tournament, and won. It was Adepticon at 16. Yeah. And then that year he went on to, to – he also won Nova. And it was – everyone was like, who is this Wonderkind? They just came out of nowhere. And I, I haven't seen anybody come in with that kind of heat in the scene since then and that was a long time ago the, the last person i remember was colin sherman best in faction podcast i remember specifically him emailing me uh after you listen to an episode of chapter tactics saying like oh yeah i just got um you know my kids into it and it, it's something that i really wanted to do or something to that effect but basically he just gotten into it this year and then he won a couple of big tournaments that year and i was like oh colin sherman that this is a guy to watch and then he went to the socal open where i met him uh, officially and he's a really great guy i just recommend the best in faction podcast with mitch as well two gentlemen great 40k yeah, players two extremely nice guys uh but yeah the uh and richard richard is by far the most successful person i've personally seen uh coming into their first competitive 40k year yeah i mean that's it's it's really un- unprecedented uh in the history of the itc has never happened yeah it's always been a known player um that's that's had their year you yep. know uh, I mean, you can make sort of make the argument for Brandon, but he on the West Coast he was already just kicking everyone's butt. Uh, but that was when he kind of like came onto the stage in the in the the global competitive 40k scene and made a name for himself. But it was not a surprise to any of us having seen his evolution. But yeah, Richard just came out of nowhere. Like, and I, I didn't, I did not realize that. So big congratulations to him. As I was saying it, he's uh, I believe now in the pole position. It's his to lose. Uh, so also just a really really nice guy. Right, like he's really nice. It's kind of guy. It's like you like, like to see him win because he is such a genuinely nice person. Speaking of nice guys, uh, I wanted to give a quick shout out to the Atlanta Open top eight. Um, those the the people in that top eight. It was a stacked top eight, and there's really good narratives there and some really great games played there. Um, and it was you know it was a joy to watch this weekend to watch so many good players uh, play each other, and it it, it gives me. Uh, you know, kind of like excitement for the Las Vegas Open because we have all those players are going to come back. We'll probably have another stacked top eight like we do every year. Um, it just really makes me excited to, you know, to cover the Las Vegas Open. Yeah, it's going to be a tremendous finish to the biggest season of the ITC yet and the biggest event of all time. A thousand, we have over a thousand registered players in the 40K champs. We have over 1,500 unique 40K players coming to the Las Vegas Open. That is mind boggling. Yeah, it's unprecedented, like by a country mile, the biggest event that is it's as big as the next three events combined. And that's not in any way a dig on them. A lot of them could be bigger if they had more room. They just physically can't grow any bigger. But it's just it's just a testament to how popular the game is and how much momentum match play is getting 
and it's really exciting and fun to see it to see it grow from you know when we started doing this it was just that like one fiftieth of what it is now yeah it's really neat to see it and especially to see the international community of people that are working together now like we have uh, regional reps in Southeast Asia Africa Australia you know um, all over Europe the UK it's South America, Central America, it's crazy. Like, I didn't even know people were playing 40K in all these places and AOS as well. So very cool. And I uh, can't wait to see how the chips settle. Also, it's always interesting. We, every single year, we have one dark horse that somehow fights their way into the top eight at the LVO. Like, every year, there's yep. a player where I'm like, who's this? Like, where did they come from? And obviously, they're a good player. They were just not a known player. And it's, it, it's cool to see that. Because I remember we'll, we'll interview them sometimes and they're like, ah, it's like deer in the headlights. They're like, I don't even know how I got here. This is crazy. And you're like, well, good luck. So yeah, it's going to be very exciting to see how, it, how the dust settles. Uh, in third place, we have Nick Rose, a well-known name in competitive 40K. One of the first truly notorious, I would say, players with his uh, leaf blower uh, list for anybody back in the day from the hard boy tournaments. Um, he, uh, that was kind of one of the first like known lists and, and, and really incited some vitriol in people because it was such a face we just call it a hobby killer <laughs> um, and that was nick and he's he's been a staple in the competitive scene forever uh and then nick nonavati also a well-known name in fourth place and john lennon teammate of richard siegler also extremely nice guy in fifth place so just a stacked uh stacked finals coming down the home stretch here it's going to be really cool to see who wins. Uh, 40K ITC Hobby Track, Jim, I hedge my bets, Vessel. <laughs> which, speaking of which, uh, uh, Jim is just about to launch his own business, as I understand it. He's, he's either a principal in it or a partner of it. It's called uh, Virtuous Pie. Yeah. I want to give him a plug because we always admire the entrepreneurial spirit here. And um, that's up in Canada. It's, a, as I understand it, a vegetarian pizza place. So uh, anybody in the area... Uh, look it up. It's Toronto, correct? Uh, I'm not sure, um, but I do know that that it's a restaurant that he opened up. Yeah. yeah. So we wish him nothing but success. If you're in the area, drop in, support a fellow hobbyist's uh, entrepreneurial venture. So good luck to Jim with that. And he's also got a pretty commanding lead at the top of the hobby track. Uh, ooh, Carl Payne. Yeah, beat out Lou Rollins last year's ITC hobby track. Yeah, and he's got jumped up on him by 11 points, it looks like. Well done. Carl is a, a very good painter. His yeah, arms Carl's are gorgeous. a really, really good painter. And a very nice guy, too. He is super nice. He's actually designed, done some design work for us uh, with ITC Terrain. There you go. Yep. Lou Rollins in third place. Paul Winters in fourth. And Dominique Corette moves into fifth. Current Age of Sigmar, top five. We got Jeremy Vessier, the French overlord, sitting pretty in first. Uh, he's been there for quite some time, and he has a pretty strong lead, so he's got to feel confident coming down the home stretch here. James O'Brien moves into second. Alex Gonzalez moves into third. Anthony Lawrence in fourth, and Matt Pajpi, the Jersey Kid, in fifth. If you want to hear some more fun AOS talk, tune in to The Wide World of Wargaming, hosted by Alex Gonzalez. You can find it on frontlinegaming.org, and it's uh, they cover a lot of different games, but the, the, the part of it that we feature is the Age of Sigmar uh, special you can check out that from some obviously very good Age of Sigmar players. AOS ITC Hobby Track, current top five. We got Rich Waters in first place. Jeremy Vessier in second. Always good to see the competitive players also 
getting their hobby on. Matt Beasley in third, Alex Gonzalez in fourth, and Matthias Crucial in fifth. Well done. Shadespire, top. Underworlds. Underworlds, top. It's always going to be Shadespire in my heart. <laughs> I think it's going to be Shadespire in a lot of people's hearts. Yeah, I guess the Shadespire was just the setting of the first Yes, expansion. Ga- game, right? Expansion. The game's actually called Warhammer Underworlds. Yeah. So, so uh, Shadespire, Night Vault, Beast Grave. There you go. Three. There you go. Thank you for dropping the knowledge bomb on me. Uh, Underworlds, current top five. We've got Michael T. Holy, the one and only. Michael T. Holy. In first place with a commanding lead. Uh, Alex Torbert in second from uh, Kill Team Academy. Janice Gilhelm in third. George Rollins in fourth. And uh, Matthew Hole in fifth. And uh, the LVO is going to be a major for Kill Team. So the standings are going to get exploded at the event. Uh, assuming we don't have a lot of attrition, it will be uh, it will be a major. It's the first major of the year. I think it's the first IT, uh, the first kill team major period. If I wow, uh, unless there's some information I'm lacking, and then finally, kill team ITC top ten. That's not right. Oh, you, shades- just, you you said you you said kill team instead of underworlds in the last. Did I? Yeah. What the heck is going on here? So so the you were talking about the kill team major being the first major, and this is underworlds. About, yeah. Oh boy, sorry. I somehow mixed the titles of the two. Episode six six six. It's devilish. I'm trying to confuse you. <laughs> All right, underworlds. Excuse me. That was kill team. This is underworlds. Ivan Cho continues to lead the pack with a dominating lead. Uh, way out in first place, Jonathan Colson in second, Tony Field in third, Matthew Martin in fourth, and Daniel Velasquez in. Fifth, and of course, again, the uh, Underworlds event at the LVO is shaping up to be quite big. Uh, a lot of, there's actually three separate events. So everyone's going to go, that, that shows up is going to hit all five events and the standings are going to get exploded. It's going to yeah. be very interesting. Yeah, so so um, yeah, Michael Holy is the kill team, top 10. Underworlds, Ivan chose Underworlds. Sorry that I got that backwards. Check out these lovely miniatures. Oh, before, before we do that, can I make an announcement? Maybe. It's, it's a it's a go for it. evil announcement. Oh, then yes. Uh, so uh, if you're if you're unfamiliar with who I am, I'm uh, my name is Pablo. I host the Chapter Tactics 40k podcast on the Signals from the Front Signals, the Frontline Gaming Podcast Network. Nothing but professionals here. Uh, and so um, at the uh, every month we give out uh, special something to the patrons as a little extra bonus. Uh, for last month we didn't give anything out because I wanted to save the money for a big announcement this month. And so this month at the end of the year, or uh, basically the beginning of next year, I'm gonna be giving out one uh, airplane ticket or one flight out to one of Frontline Gaming's major events. So the Las Vegas Open 2020, not 2019, that's a little too soon, I can't save up money for that. The Bay Area Open or the SoCal Open, that's gonna go out to one of our patrons. Uh, And the reason why I wanted to do that was because the patrons were a big factor in um, why I, I kept going with pushing through chapter tactics. A lot of times the extra supplemental income, uh, you know, helped pay a bill or helped put some money on the table or food on the table. Uh, and in general, I just wanted to kind of give back. Uh, so it, it, it's going to be for anyone located globally. I, ha- I have a ton of listeners all over the world. We have a ton of listeners all over the world. Uh, and it, you know, I've, I've got it set so that I'll definitely be able to either pay for the whole flight, possibly hotel, depending on where you're located, or put a large, you know, credit towards a flight to get you to fly if you're located in a more rural part of the world. Uh, So it's, you know, if you want to participate in that, if you want to enter, all you have to do is go to 
patreon.com slash chapter tactics. And I'll announce the winner at the beginning of the year after we get back from the Christmas break. Very cool. Very cool. And on that note too, uh, we are helping get the Australian ITC champion from last year out. And that's what we do with the money from the ITC Patreon is to try and do the same thing, help people from around the world because it is expensive. Yes. Get out here and rep their country and have fun. I think that's really cool, man. Yeah. I, I think that's really cool. It's an evil announcement. Yes. Well, well, when you it's get actually here, a very we'll, generous announcement. It's so generous. It's evil. <laughs> it's evil because then you come to Las Vegas and have lots of fun. Ah, I got you. Uh, all right. Well, that's very cool. Make sure to go support that Patreon if you want to tr- get a partially free trip to the LVO 2021. Check out these lovely recently completed commissions by the FLG Paint Studio. These models are gorgeous. Dude, Battle Wizard on Combat Donkey. <laughs> With wings. On Flying Donkey. Flying Combat Donkey. Flying Donkasaurus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know. Who who do you think designs these Age of Sigmar monsters? I don't know. That I, dude, like, he put down the water pipe and was like, yeah, dude, it's like Eeyore with wings. <laughs> And like horns. If anyone, if anyone in the comment or in the chat, the Twitch chat knows the kind of the lore behind these creatures, like, hey, just just Sigmar like create them, or are they just like magically found in the realms? Like, where, where do they get these animals from? <laughs> no, well, these are good. The good guys have like their theme is like flyers, Donkasaurus, and like bird, like chocobos. Well, there's the Dracoths too, right? They're oh like, yeah, you got the lizard. lizard. But then the bad guys also have lizard things. And then the lizards also have lizard things. Dude, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, what I do know is that what consistently gets me hyped up for Age of Sigmar models is the creatures. The first model I ever saw in Age of Sigmar was the Knight Venator, which is the um, Stormcast Eternals knight with the bird. And it's like an archer knight. And he's super awesome, badass looking. But as soon as I saw that bird, I, I fell in love and immediately bought the model. My favorite are the little like familiars you get in uh, the Silver Tower. Yes. They're great. so characterful. Like the little book that has legs and he's like the little spell book. He's like, here I go, master. It's so great. Yeah, they're, they're a lot of fun. Uh, but it's a bit, jokes aside, I actually really like the model. I think that uh, it looks very cool. It's unique. Um, obviously a beautiful paint job. And here's another absolutely oh phenomenal paint job of uh, G-Man, uh, Rabuti, Giamman. It's gorgeous. It, I, the sword is just on a different level, dude. It looks like it is on fire. Yeah. Yeah. The flame effects on that sword are just insane. Yeah. With the OSL, just a little light touch of OSL too on the shoulder plat. Oh my gosh. This is a gorgeous, gorgeous model. I give it a, a 10. 10. A, a 10. Yeah. It, this, is oh, an, yeah. this is an absolutely outstanding paint job. Wow. Uh, and Frontline Gaming's Paint Studio, the FLGPaintStudio.com, if you want to go check it out. We offer a wide range from the Super Boss Ultra Pimpin' Amazing paint jobs down to Tournament Standard, which uh, is a lot more simple and affordable. So you could get, you know, for, for every budget and taste, we've got something for you. Check it out. And if you're a painter that uh, already has your own thing going and you'd like to get some more work, or you would even be interested in coming out to Las Vegas and living there and working at Frontline Gaming, um, hit us up. Fill out the application over at Frontline Gaming or FLGPaintStudio.com and we'll see if you've got the right stuff. 
Yeah, and if, if you feel like you maybe maybe your paint levels aren't at the level of this level, that's perfectly okay. Uh, we, we take painters in, we, we coach them up, but more importantly, we're looking for team players. We're looking for people who are reliable and devoted to painting the game, painting models and wanting to make it like a you know full full thing. Yeah, it's like we can take someone who has a good work ethic and teach them the painting techniques. We can't <laughs> we can't take a someone with a good painting skills and a poor work ethic. That's not gonna work. Yeah. So, all right, let's jump into chat, answer some questions, see what is going on. Uh, Zealous, it's the whole pin plus apple meme again. I love that. Pin pineapple pin pie. I have a pen. Pineapple apple. I pen. have an apple. That was oh great. I loved it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, right. In the chat, everybody is just saying how much they enjoyed the images. Robootalicious. I like that. Ooh. I like that term a lot. That's that's going to be my new term next time I see a beautiful Ultramarines model. Like, that's Robootalicious. Raston is says, tournament standard is primed, washed, and the two stripes on the shoulder pads, right? Wrong. <laughs> We're going with uh, GW's Battle Ready standard. There's images. Uh, you can go check the show notes from the last episode. We'll put it, obviously, in our, our PSA. But it's basically like a good faith attempt to, to paint the model. I'll actually show some of my own miniatures, which I painted to that standard, uh, just so people can see. Like, It's not just putting two dots of color on a, a model that's been primed black and maybe driver. So, like, it's actually attempting to sort of paint the model, right? Like it, it looks like a good faith attempt was made. Yeah. And um, unfortunately, I have been painting my own armies to that standard lately because I haven't had a lot of time. So I get it, but on the tabletop, it looks fine. Yeah, my favorite tournament army, tournament standard painted army that we have in the studio, I think is probably Frankie's Aliens themed Tyranids army. Uh, it's gorgeous. It's it's all like a shiny black kind of paint job like the alien from Aliens. Uh, and there, there's some green, there's some good purple OSL on the bases. And it's just a gorgeous army. And if you were to look at that, you wouldn't expect it's it to be painted. It's the simplest paint so job. So simple. Dude, it's like uh, matte black, glossy black, and silver on the teeth like Aliens. And, then some, green. and then some little green and purple OSL here and there. And it, like, the, the army looks great and it was so easy to paint it. Yes. So like you can do that, right? Like you don't have to be Picasso or, you know, Da Vinci or something. You just got to get some paint on the models, make them look like they're, you, you tried to paint them. Uh, Axis of Inchby, the mats we did for the Atlanta Open were excellent. Hey, thank you. Yeah, we did uh, all the mats that you saw there were made by us. Um, and if you have an event and you want custom mats, as long as you can provide the art, um, we can do that for you. Not a problem. Aether, thank you for your continued subscription for 55 months. Holy shimoli. Been with us since the beginning. All right. Is there a, a Metal Gear Rex shirt? Uh, yes, it is. Mm -hmm. And you oh, know when Snake gets like surprised? Oh, yeah. There's a little, <laughs> yeah. little exclamation button. Nice. Yeah. Pretty funny. Uh, Air Viking, pick one. Different terrain setup for each table that is set or same setup each table, but it changes equally each round? Like you're changing... The uh, turn. Oh, I see. Um, it depends on if you're a player or if you're a TO there. Because what he's saying is, is, is round one, all the tables are set like Nova style. And then round two, all the tables are set like LVO style or whatever, right? That, but every table is the same, but each round differently is, is the second option. I would pick the first option. I, I am a, I've been very open about this. I do not like having every table be the same. Like I really, really, I mean, I don't hate it, but given the option between 
having every table be different and able to every table be the same, I will take every table being different 10 times out of 10. Like a lot of the standardized tournament terrain setup that we'd be seeing like the Nova style, it is extremely functional. And I totally 100% understand from a competitive perspective why that's appealing. But to the, all the data that we have is, it, it paints a very clear picture. The average person playing the game and coming to events is not in that tip of the spear. Like it has to be like exactly, you know, the exact same on every table. Um, a lot of people are, are motivated as much or more by the aesthetics of the game. So there's probably room for a compromise. Like you could have like three or four standardized setups and try and like strike a balance between the two. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I just, I like variety and I like the table to, to tell a story um, and not just have like these exact same geometric shapes um, that, that probably don't even match the map that they're on. I know some people like you don't really care about that. It doesn't bother you. But I, I, I don't have any data on this specifically, but I'd be willing to bet the majority of people would prefer a themed table to a non-themed table. And you can still achieve the goals of having like really good coverage and relative standardization, but also have variety. And I think that that's probably, if you're starting fresh as a tournament organizer, that's probably the best way to do it, to, to try and to, to do both. But if you're in a situation like we are, where we have like a thousand tables of terrain, literally, we are not going to go in and, and change that. It's just not like we update our terrain over time, um, but it's a monumental effort to do that. It's just not realistic. Yeah. Um, but if you're starting fresh, totally. Or if you're updating, if you're like cycling out terrain because it's too beat up and old, you know what? I would say going with multiple standardized uh, formats is probably a, a great idea. My, my personal favorite is uh, to go to a tournament and have all of the terrain be standardized, but in different layouts throughout the whole event. So what I mean by that is basically you see the same like eight to 10 pieces of terrain on every table, but every table they're laid out differently, which is kind of what ITC terrain is uh, with the exception of some really weird ones like the hangar, which we took out of the, the all our big 40K major events because it's so odd. Um, so that's my favorite. I, what I dislike is going to a table and it's all forest themed and there's like no, you can't tell what anything is, right? Or like an Eldar themed with like towers and like it's all, it looks cool, but you know, from a, from a gameplay perspective, I have no idea how to even get to this. And so, yeah, it's, you know, it's, you want to strike a balance, right? Like you want to strike a balance between having it look as good as possible. And that's why we're rolling out like this new, more strict paint standard because like some of the armies we've seen, it, they're just hideous. And it really does make the event less enjoyable, right? People are less apt to get involved and to keep, stay involved. It's really, it's for the betterment of the whole scene to elevate the, the hobby standard. Um, and you know, local events at RTTs and stuff, no big deal. Yeah. I bring unpainted stuff to RTTs all the time. Yeah. I try not to, but you know, when you're experimenting and stuff, let your hair down. Yeah. But at a big event, if you want it to feel like it's a, a special thing, appearance is everything. It, it really is. I mean, it's not everything, but it's a huge chunk of it. Running a competent event is <laughs> also extremely important. Uh, is this going to be the policy going forward for... Um, f Frontline gaming events, it's probably going to become the standard for ITC events, quite frankly, because they can just point at this like, okay, we're doing battle ready standard from GW um, as what we expect people to do. And it just it just makes sense. It's easy. There's pictures. You, it, I would be willing to bet it becomes the standard, period. Uh, some events may go, I, I know 
there are events that are trying to grow and make it, they're trying to lower the barrier to entry. Even at GT level, I don't agree with it, but I, I do understand the logic that will say like, you don't have to have stuff painted. But then, you know, you get pictures like that event where the guy that won had three unpainted, 3D printed Forge World Caladius. Oh, I wanted to puke in my mouth. They're like lime green. Oh, I was like, oh, don't put these pictures on like that. People, like, anyone who was on the fence about going to a tournament is going to look at that and be like, nope. <laughs> like, like someone who's a little bit more casual and they look at that and they're just like, Muh. and again, I'm not trying to slam the person who, who did that. Maybe a little bit. 3D printed models are <laughs> terrible for the future of what we're doing. But um, I understand that the, why somebody would do that, but it's, it's just not good for the long haul, right? If, if you're trying to grow your event and you need to lower the standard a little bit, I get it. But I think most events, especially established events, are going to adopt the, the stricter standard. I, I would bet that that's going to become the norm because yeah. it just makes sense. Yeah. You know? And if you want to grow your event, that's absolutely the demographic you want to, you want to uh, you know, kind of cater your event to like those, those thousand plus players coming to Las Vegas open. It's not a thousand Nick Nonavadis and Sean Nadins, right? It's, there's a lot of players that are going to experience the event, uh, experience the Las Vegas open, maybe go to meet famous podcasters or famous players that they want to meet. Uh, maybe they're trying to win their best specific best in faction bragging rights. You know, there, there's a ton of reasons for players to go to the Las Vegas open and we're acutely aware of that. And so we kind of cater the Las Vegas open to, um, as many players as possible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, obviously we're, we are both competitive players first, clearly. Right. Like that's, uh, there's no secret there, but the, if, if you ever lose sight, if you get so hyper-focused on that, that you lose sight of the fact that this is a game based in a, a tactile hobby experience, you've gone off the trail. Uh, like truly, because otherwise we just go play chess or poker. Right, like 40k and poker have a lot of analogs. I can make way more money playing poker or lose a lot more money. Well, maybe not. Probably, probably end up losing the you, same you amount. You lose a lot of money playing poker. You spend a lot of money playing 40k, yeah. but then you have something for it. Um, and it's like the, if you cannot lose sight of the fact that this it's a visual game, and that is the biggest selling point of it. Like every single one of us got into it because the models look cool. Hundred yeah. percent. Even me. Yeah. Like no one was like opened up the rule book and was like, hmm, this uh this rule mechanic is enticing. Maybe somebody out there, right? But ninety nine point nine percent of us saw a beautifully painted table with models and that was what sucked yeah. us in. My very first experience looking at 40k was I saw a defiler on a tower and a whole an ultramarine space marines army versus a chaos army and i was just like what is going on and they're like oh yeah this this thing on this tower is shooting down and it's a really complicated rule set and i was like oh complicated like mm, sign tell me, me more. up yeah <laughs> yeah and but the, the the thing that drew my eye was the defiler on the tower that was my very first snapshot picture of a 40k game um it was super cool yeah it, it, that's you got to keep that in mind even at the most competitive event you need to keep that in mind yeah Right. And there's a reason why, you know, uh, our boys kind of like fell by the wayside. It was like people were bringing unpainted armies and they were like, it was fun. Don't get me wrong. It was fun. But if, that would never become the standard. It was always kind of like this like neat like side thing. And then it eventually died out. So uh, Groobly says he uses some 3D printed bits. Um, and you have a, uh, yeah, 3D printed bits is like, I, I'm kind of like, I'm okay with that personally. Especially if it's a bit you can't otherwise uh, obtain. And if you do a good job, like he was saying, he, he takes the time to make the lines go away that you see in, in, with the 3D printing at, at lower resolution, stuff like that. Still, it's like if you really take a look at it, 
you know, it's, it's, it's not good for the hobby to have 3D printed stuff. I, I totally get it. I think 3D printers are rad, um, but you really don't want people using armies of 3D printed models because then that's just devastating to the friendly local game stores, um, to, to, to the underpinning of this whole community. It revolves around people buying the models. Even, you know, they are expensive. It's annoying. Yeah. I get it. But yeah. uh, Zealous says a local store did a beginner's event every month or two where the paint requirements went up little by little each time to promote new players starting off and working towards building and painting the army. Yeah, that's great. Escalation leagues are awesome. Yeah, they're pr- tried and true, proven to work. Escalation leagues are absolutely fantastic. Um, Katie and Ranger, what's up? Over in Germany, dude, how you doing? Uh, so what's up with the new rumors about a uh, new 40K edition? Eh, you know it's going to happen sooner or later. Obviously, we don't have we, if we have any information, we can't share it. But um, the edition will always roll over at some point in time. So, uh, they're probably uh, some of the guys are speculating about some announcements that come up at the Las Vegas Open. There's going to be a lot of really cool announcements too. Mm-hmm. Uh, my Aeronautica Imperialis Army is very worried about the new flyer rules. Says uh, dark blue text, which I cannot read on the black background that Pablo has chosen. You know what, Reese? <laughs> it's episode 666. It's dark and evil. It's going to be a dark background. Uh, so for the LVO, we're sticking with the if it sits, it fits uh, rule that we had at the SoCal Open. It was well received. Had an overwhelming uh, positive response after the event when we pulled the attendees. And then when we pulled the ITCTO group overwhelmingly positive yes keep it um i know some people were salty about it but uh the response was massively in the positive um about keeping it so it is uh, what are, what what are um so there there was one thing that i saw consistently and the number one question revolving around that specific role was uh, how it pertains to monsters and some other models specifically like riptides we're sticking with it as it is. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Because the Riptides and Monsters have been able to do this the whole edition. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, uh, there's been no squeaky wheel there. Um, I can't, every now and then I'll get a picture of a Riptide on top of something. Someone's like, this is stupid. I'm like, yeah, it is. But um, it really became a, an actual problem with like repulsors and Caladius and that kind of thing. Um, and that was when there was like this huge, like, whoa, this sucks. This is bad. Uh, and that's why we responded to it. And the thing is, too, is when you go down that road, when you actually like start thinking about like how does this work with um, flying monsters creatures which need to go into assault, it gets so weird. It doesn't really work. Yeah. So, and again, it's not been a problem. Uh, Grubal. Uh, well, if you can't buy the model, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, they're, they're, that's a huge. We could have a five-hour podcast about. 3D printing and, and what it means and the ups and the downs and, and all that stuff. Um, and it is a very controversial topic. Um, but th- at the end of the day, you have to remember that all these game stores, all these companies all rely on people buying the models. And that's just the way it is. You know, maybe at some point in the future, you could buy a print file and the 3D printers will have the quality of Games Workshop miniatures, which the best 3D printers in the world don't. They do not match it. Um, what Games Workshop can do with their plastic injection molding. So, you know, maybe like that's the, like with music industry, people buy digital music. Maybe that's the direction that it goes, but it's not there yet. Um, that's still a long way off. And that's still devastating for game stores. Yeah. You'd have to completely change your business model 
um, to survive in that kind of an environment, right? Like, where are the record stores? <laughs> They're all gone. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. Like, why is that? It's because of digital music. Same like there's no more blockbusters. There's yeah. no more um, Hollywood videos and stuff like that. And it's, that's why. Yeah. And, and one thing I kind of want to add to this a little bit, because I obviously run the secondhand store. So I do see my fair share of uh, 3D printed or, or, or casted models. Um, so I do have to deal with those. I, and we, 40K doesn't have the infrastructure or the, the systems in place to kind of help the average buyer or average seller out when it comes to casted or 3D printed models. Not like Magic the Gathering, which has, a, not only does it have a huge problem with, with fake cards being printed, and they're printing cards that are sometimes worth hundreds of dollars, uh, but they also have dedicated forums and teams and and even in some cases professions of people who, who uh, identify cards and give you lists to figure out if your card is fake or not. 40K doesn't have that, uh, Warmer doesn't have that. So I think oftentimes if, if it it's really susceptible to 3D printed or, or fake models, fake casted models, uh, because the community just simply doesn't have the, the rules in place to help alleviate that, or alleviate those those costs. Yeah, so. and it's, it's a really interesting topic and it's something yeah. I, I spend a lot of my time researching because it obviously has an impact on our business. And, yes. Uh, and unlike a lot of game stores, we're in a position to actually like that. It doesn't affect us as much because we're so diversified. But a lot of game stores, they would kill them. They would put them out of business. Yeah. Um, and then if you don't have a place to go and play in something that is, you know, fundamentally a social game, and a lot of people, that's that is how they experience their hobby is going to the game store. Think about what that does. It's not like you can still listen to music. Like going to the Tower Records, like they were saying in the chat, it's cool. It's fun. It was awesome. You can talk to other uh, audiophiles, but it doesn't stop you from like fundamentally enjoying music. You know, this is very different. And I think that's why it needs to be treated differently. Um, Wolf Priest Carl. Yes. My, my mustache has, it's continually getting smaller. Um, the, uh, the girlfriend is not a fan. I think uh, someone asked earlier. <laughs> what solid the next, stash, baby. Uh, someone asked earlier what the next facial plan was for you. I think you should do the reverse Choplin. I was going to, I was thinking of doing the, the reverse. That's a better way of saying than the reverse Hitler. <laughs> Which is shaved the, this part. Episode six six six, the one where we lose all of our listeners. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the I think that should be the next one. Yeah, or you could call it the Michael Jordan. <laughs> Do the Michael Jordan. It didn't go very well for him either. Uh, uh, have you seen the videos of three D printers printing the terrain for the ETC in Luxembourg? Says Katie and Ranger. Uh, he is the ITC regional rep in Germany. One of. ITC regional reps in Germany. So if anybody has any questions, it's in on the continent. A uh, good person to go talk to. I have not. And that's always one of the, I think the ETC is a phenomenal, like, I like the whole thing. It's cool. I'm actually, I'm actually on the USA ETC team this year. Uh, very exciting. Frankie and I both are. Why you didn't yeah. announce that? When was that? Uh, they, they approached us and um, uh, asked us if we could. We've been asked to be on the team numerous times, but we always were unable to go. Well, they're just letting anyone on the team these these days. Well, we got uh, hold on, we got Sean, we got uh, TJ, we got uh, Richard Siegler. Um, so I hope they're all doing squats because they're going to be carrying Frankie on <laughs> their backs. Hey man, I've only lost one game I've ever played across the Atlantic. One game. How many games have you played across the Atlantic, Reese? Eleven. I'm ten. I'm ten and one. That's pretty good. I'm pretty sure Sean plays more games that across the Atlantic in like a day. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. 
so far, I've been batting strong for old Team USA. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm really excited. I, I've always wanted to play on the ETC team. I, I'm very, I'm very excited. Because um, I mean, we've been asked numerous times, and it was just we just always couldn't go for some reason. So yeah, we're really stoked to rep the USA. Hopefully, um, hopefully I can go out and continue my my relatively hot streak. Uh, actually, no, I've lost two games. That's true. I'm 12 and 2. So now you're a liar. Yes. Episode 666. <laughs> um, but one of my, my critiques with the ETC was always the, the, the terrain was always kind of like not awesome. Like a lot of it was like ultra functional, but like aesthetically I was always like, ugh. Um, so 3D printing it, we'll see. You know, um, Hopefully it looks nice and it's functional. I'm sure it will be functional. Yeah. That's always their number one priority. The, the Iron Halo 3D prints a lot of their terrain. Uh, Jason Horn from Iron Halo has 3D printers, three 3D printers going on his house all year long. Uh, and so I have full confidence that they'll be able to put out a great event with awesome terrain. Uh, 3D printed terrain is something that I encourage and I haven't yet to see 3D terrain that I would not play on. So, um, Yeah, the... Uh... You know, putting terrain on tables is what the is 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 the it's the hardest part of running big events. Like it really is. Terrain management is a pain in the butt. It's expensive. Um, it, it's it's expensive to store it, just to buy the containers to hold it. It's expensive. So that's really the 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 biggest. That, that's the most challenging part. And a lot of the times, it's the most expensive part, depending on how you do it. And that's why so many people are are taking these very cheap alternatives of using like you know, very, very, very simple MDF terrain. I, I get it better than anybody gets it. Like last year for the LVO to replace all the old tables and to cover growth, we essentially had to make a full set of terrain every single day of the year. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. I would never want to do it again, but we got it done. So um, I, I do get it and, you know, looking for options like 3D printing and stuff. I think the, the biggest, my biggest uh, counterpoint to that, depending on how nice it looks, is that if you're trying to run a premier event and as more and more events grow in the competition for uh, increases, you're leaving the door open for someone else to beat you on the, the aesthetics part of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if you run a great event and somebody else runs a great event, all things equal, but they have absolutely gorgeous terrain and you have, you know, just, you know, two color MDF. If someone's got to make a choice. What do you think the deciding factor is going to be, you know? So it's just one more way to put your event further out in front, to raise the bar, to make it a premier, incredible experience. Um, I'm finally coming clean about my record. Yes, indeed. Uh, and, and anybody that, you know, associated with the ETC, I think I have nothing but res respect for what they've built. But that has always been my one complaint. My one critique would be that the terrain sometimes has been a little lackluster, not in terms of functionality, but in terms of appearance for something that's supposed to, that, you know, it's supposed to be like the Olympics of 40K, you know? But I get it. They're, uh, the way that they run it, it's it's a big risk. Uh, let's see what uh, anybody else has to say in here. Uh, Tayun135. Honestly, I think 3D printing is looked down on too much. Uh, it makes the community look elitist. Um, I can see that perspective a little bit, Tayun135. But the thing is, you, you got to look at it not in terms of just how it impacts your wallet. That's very difficult to do. I get it. But you really do, in my opinion need to take a step back and think about what it is we do. And the underpinning of it is financial. And that is 
buying, building, painting the models. It really is. Like if I know this is kind of cliche, if everybody jumped off a cliff, you know, would you do it? Would you do it? But it like literally, I mean, do a thought experiment. What percentage of the of the community that per, perhaps stopped buying models and started only using 3D printed stuff? How what percentage would it take to put this whole thing out to to to, to, to dramatically change it and put people out of business? It's not that big of a number. <laughs> Most game stores operate on very thin margins. Yeah. So it's not really elitism. In my opinion, everybody's free to see it how they choose. It's more of just being realistic about what it is we do. Um, now, there's a whole different argument to be made about GW's pricing model. I know it upsets a lot of people. Um, and that's a whole different discussion. But uh, at a game store, oftentimes it's one of the things that keeps them afloat. That magic card sales and then humorously soda pop and like candy and stuff are the things that actually pay the bills. Yeah. Yeah, it, and um, also he, he said that it was a form of gatekeeping or it was like a gatekeeping issue as well. I actually kind of disagree with that. Um, there's actually a lot of ways for you to for newer players to get into the hobby, uh, though there isn't as, as much education about how to get new players specifically with those ways. But w- one way I would recommend would be if you're worried about costs to go to go on eBay, buy a lot of those used secondhand models. You can go to frontlinegaming.org slash secondhand store, secondhand shop. Uh, if you want, we, we do have a lot of very, very affordable miniatures uh, that I intentionally make affordable so that we can get new players into the hobby. Uh, and so that's just one example. Um, there, there's tons of ways to get new players into the hobby without maybe resorting to 3D printing. Um, so just just keep that in mind, too. Yeah. And in, in, in the chat, never mind, Jamba brings up a, a point which I wholeheartedly agree with. Uh, the market for this stuff would diminish dramatically if GW produced um, bits, if you could buy bits. Now, uh, I agree 100%, I think that would be so cool, but I don't know why they don't do it. I think the obvious answer is that logistically, like labor-wise, that is probably insanely difficult. Like think about how many bits there are in one kit. Some of these kits have hundreds of bits. And they already have so many kits and molds for all of the stuff that they have to worry about. Yeah. Well, then, then as, a, as a critique there, and I don't understand the legality of it, but I would say like G, GW actually goes after, they, they have policies in place to not sell the bits. I would say it would actually be in their benefit, in my opinion, without all the information, I could be wrong. I actually think it would be in their benefit to allow people to sell bits, like remember spiky bits. Um, I think they perform an important service and it's like, does it matter if people are bitsing it out? Like, I don't know all the, the, the financial or legal reasons behind that decision. Uh, and I, I would be curious to, to, to learn more about it because I'm sure there is a legitimate reason. But if you've got someone that's willing to do the labor and have a secondary market where they're selling bits, they still have to acquire the kit in the first place. Like, do you be still making money? I don't really see why it's a negative. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't, I don't have a, an answer for that and all, but that's a really interesting question. And obviously people are doing that right now anyways, regardless of, of, you know, GW allowing or disallowing it. Uh, so it's currently the status quo that is preventing other stores from jumping into the market or it's gatekeeping them from jumping into the bits market when maybe it could benefit them. Right. You know, cause yeah, as a, if you're a vendor of GW product and this is all public information, people are just surprised. Like you're not supposed to sell out of the country. And you're not supposed to sell uh, bits. Yes. And this is not, you know, this is all public information. Yeah. Not, I'm not revealing some big, big secret. Um, uh, but yeah, that's, that, that is why, right? That's why you're not supposed to do it. Uh, but it just, yeah, it, it seems strange. Like I, I, if someone's willing to go open up like a little like 
you know, side business doing all the labor, who cares? Yeah. But again, I don't have all the information. So that's, I, I could be just misinformed. Um, doo -doo -doo. Relating to LVO ticket purchases. I was emailing about LVO tickets last month. Uh, Zillis, uh, email me at contact at frontlinegaming.org and I'll make sure to get back to you today. I'm not sure what your question is about tickets, but I'll make sure I'll help you out. Uh, will we, will the frontline folks be coming to Adepticon? Asks NHH5357. Uh, yeah, uh, not a hundred percent certain, but I believe Frankie and I will be the shoutcasters at the event. Don't take that to the bank yet. Uh, we haven't signed any contracts or anything, but I believe we will be. Um, I will be filling in for our, our dear friend uh, Jeff, and uh, Frankie's already obviously been doing it. So I believe we will, unless something changes between now and then, but I would say you could count on that. Um, so yeah, we'll see you all there. And how's the move going? It's a good question. Going. You know, if you think moving your, your person, your home, is a pain in the butt, Moving a business out of state is extraordinarily pain, huge pain in the butt. Like there's so much stuff you have to do. Like we have to like dissolve our current corporation, reincorporate, and it's hilariously cheaper in Nevada. Then California's incorporation rules are ludicrous. Yeah. It's like 10 times as expensive as anywhere else. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the move is going good. Uh, Frankie's there with, there's a, there's like half the companies there. Uh, manufacturing is up and running. Obviously people are, if you're waiting for your mats, they're all going out and thank you for that, for supporting us during the, the sale. Um, so yeah, it's like, we're like, we have two, we have a foot in each state right now. And then the rest of us will all be going in about two weeks. Three. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I know. <laughs> no. That's why, that's why I was telling everybody, I was like, make sure you've got your living situation because we don't have a lot of time. We are, we are currently currently trying to, to do our best. Yeah, it's a, it's a pain in the butt. There's been multiple trucks. We had to get flatbeds and like trying to coordinate everything and trying to make it easy for everybody to move. Um, it's a pain in the butt. Yeah, moving manufacturing equipment is panic-inducing because if it breaks... Even if it's insured, you're not, you're out of business until they can make, you know, and a lot of these machines, they don't have them. They make them for you, right? You order it and then they make it and then they ship it to you. So you can be out of business for months. Even, even if you're insured, it's still a nightmare. So, um, but yeah, it's going, thank you for asking. Um, it's going really, it's going as, as well as it could be. It's just a massive pain in the rear end. Yeah. And when we do get there, you know, when we're all settled in, uh, it's going to be really exciting. There's going to be a lot of expansion and a lot of good stuff happening. Yeah, indeed. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for this the most evilest episode of Signals from the Frontline number 666. Go play some Iron Maiden, uh, perhaps a little Cannibal Corpse. Just get down. Get down with it. Ooh, no, the obviously appropriate band to play would be Bolt Thrower, the Warhammer-themed metal band from the 90s. There you go. In the 80s. Um, and, or it's so funny every time I see a band, like the, the metal band, the black metal band, Bellacore, mm, there's Carn like Carnifex. Or you know what? To get even more meta, why don't you go to the World Eaters random name generator on the Faith and Fury book, roll up a random name and start your own metal band. Yeah, <laughs> you totally could. 
All right, everybody, thank you so much for joining us. We hope you have a wonderful week, and we will talk to you all again next Wednesday.